Hey friends, welcome to the Declare Podcast. I'm your host, Ann Watson. I'm so excited that you're here today. Today we are talking about book publishing and I cannot wait for you to hear from our guest. If you're joining us for the first time, Declare is a ministry where women who are writers, speakers, and podcasters gather. Our team is dedicated to equipping and growing and connecting Christian communicators. So if you want more information about who we are or what we do, check out our website at wearedeclare.com. You're going to find a whole bunch of information there about our annual conference, our online classes, our local meetup events, and a whole lot more. And you can even get connected today through our Facebook page. So you're going to want to do that. The theme for our conference this year is Warrior. It's all about taking a stand against the enemy so we can accomplish the good works that God has in mind for us to do. So if you've ever felt attacked, frustrated, or discouraged when you're trying to be obedient to the Lord, don't miss Declare this year, friends. We are going to be in Dallas October 4th through the 6th, and this year we have added a pre-conference option for anyone who wants to go a little deeper. In the past, we had these right before the conference, and we called them labs. They were individual sessions. But we want to streamline that. So now we're offering one low price. You get all of them and it includes lunch. So we've got our topics for the pre-conference on the website. Go look and see if they're right for you. But don't wait. Our pre-conference tickets have to be limited in size because of the classroom sizes that we're in. So when those tickets are gone, they're gone. So go ahead and make that decision now. Are you interested in connecting with our community of social influencers with your ministry, your business, your service, uh, your book? We have sponsorship opportunities for this podcast, our webinars, our connect events, and the conference itself. There's a lot of options to choose from. So if you want to get more exposure for what you have, go ahead and learn more and send an email to info at wearedeclare.com. Speaking of our sponsors, I want to thank our sponsor today, Loved and Blessed. You guys, I'm sure, have heard about the subscription services where you can get outfits or food delivered to you every month. Well, what about getting a box of encouragement every month? Loved and Blessed is like getting a care package from somebody who loves you, and that is the most amazing thing ever. So this is one of those things where you buy one for you, and then you send a subscription to all the women that you adore. The Loved and Blessed community of women exists to help you stay centered and growing in the best and in the worst of times. There's also an active online community that's all about encouraging and they've got live discussions and all your new best friends that you haven't met yet are sitting there waiting for you. So you're going to want to check out the website of lovedandblessed.com and start getting your encouragement delivered today. Girls, if you join today and use the offer code DECLARE at the checkout, you're going to get a free gift in your first box and you're going to want that free gift. It's pretty awesome. In our last episode, I talked with Lisa Pulliam. Lisa is a coach for life, writing, mentoring, you name it. And we talked about how you're being mentored and you don't even know it, the one woman you do want to help, and why you should look at failure in a positive way. That seems like a tough pill to swallow, but the way that she explains it, you're going to love it. It totally makes sense. This episode is full of rich wisdom and you don't want to miss it. So go back and check out episode 79. But today I'm really excited. We're on episode number 80 with Cara Leonino. Y'all. I do not want to sound too dramatic, but if you have ever wanted to write a book or you're working on a book proposal, this may be one of the most helpful podcasts you'll ever listen to. Kara is an acquisitions editor at Tyndale Momentum, and I first met her at Declare this past year, and we had a conversation about what she calls the ones to watch. So I asked her to come on the show today to elaborate on what she meant. Like, what is it that publishers are watching, and how can we as authors get on a publisher's radar? 
She and I talk about topics that first-time authors should avoid, red flags in a book proposal, and the three things that publishers really care about. We also talk about what to expect when you go into a publisher appointment and how to avoid a total nervous breakdown right before you go. We talk about your number one goal during that meeting and what chocolate has to do with all of it. You are going to want to take some notes, friends, but I don't want to make you wait any longer. So let's go ahead and get started with our conversation with Kara. Hey, Kara, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Anne. How are you? I'm so good. I'm saying that right. Am I Kara? Yep. That's perfect. Okay, perfect. I just wanted to make sure that everybody else out there knew how to say it because I've heard it a couple of different ways, but I always think of care. Kara cares. So that's how I remember that. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. I hope that I live up to that. I hope so too. Well, okay. So you and I are already (laughs) chatting like we're old friends, but why don't we just take a quick step back? I would love it if you'd take just a minute and go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and uh, just give us a little insight as to who you are. Oh, well, I could take up the whole time doing that. Um, We got a while. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm Kara, and as you know, I work for a Christian publishing house. And I primarily work in the acquisitions department. There's lots of roles here, but I work primarily in acquisitions, working on nonfiction projects primarily. And that's really what I mean. I do regularly. I come into work and I get to read manuscripts and talk to authors and hear amazing stories. And it just is crazy how God works in people's lives. And I'm just honored to be a part of that. So that's kind of a little bit about a little bit about what I do daily. Like I live in Illinois now. I used to live in Ohio as you know, it's a transition, but you make your way, right? So absolutely. Yeah. Well, how did you even get into that field? Like, do you go to college to become an acquisitions editor? How does that work? Yes, there's actually an acquisitions editor track at universities. Um, no, if that was true, that would be so much easier. Um, that Wouldn't would be it be? Way, way, way <laughs> I easier. thought you were serious for a second. Okay, go on. <laughs> that would be amazing. No, I actually um, went to college and got my degree in English. And I had in college, I had wanted to work in publishing or editing of some kind. And so after college, I did a year of community service. And then I um, worked in the healthcare field for a little bit doing proposal work. And then I found this job here at Tyndale for the acquisitions team. That's kind of how I came here. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, I've heard about a bunch of different editors. There's copy editors and acquisitions editors. Like, what is an acquisitions editor? Like, what do you do specifically to, I guess, acquire things? That's a really great question. Uh, To acquire books. So you have an acquisitions editor as a person that acquires manuscripts for publication. You have people, like you said, developmental editors that kind of create the body, the main part of the book. And then you have editors who dig in deeper and and make the whole project sing. Um, And so really, so acquisitions is that word we help acquire. And so the kind of the process for acquiring, I know everybody does it a little bit different, is I wish I could tell you that it was simple. And I wish I could tell you that it was quick. But that is not the case. You know, one of the things is that a lot of the times, especially with Tyndale House, is we are one of the top Christian publishing houses. And so that means that we usually we primarily accept uh, manuscripts through agents. And so we rarely it's pretty rare that we get them kind of direct from the source. But we can we can totally do that. But often they come through an agent. So what they do, agents will submit the proposal on an author's behalf. And then they'll work with the author to kind of, they've created a proposal. And in the proposal, there's lots of stuff that acquisitions editors need to be able to review, like the hook or books that are in your market or 
sample chapters. We love having sample materials. And in nonfiction, it's a little bit harder to have sample materials. Fiction, I think when you submit a manuscript, a proposal from an agent, it's usually the full book. Um, They usually have to provide the full thing. But for nonfiction, we like just a couple of chapters can really help us just gauge what you're doing. Okay. And essentially, once that proposal kind of comes in, the nonfiction team kind of talks together and we say, hey, is this a project we can take on? Does it fit with our mission? Is it, do we have room in our lineup? What's the strategy? We talk all these things through with our marketing teams and our VPs. And then if we say yes, we take it to our publications committee and they say yes or no, advance, all of that wonderful stuff. And then we work with the agent to uh, make the offer. And if we decide not to pursue it, then we decline it. But it's more fun to not do that. <laughs> oh, I'm sure it's not fun. Yeah. I'm sure to tell anybody no to their big dream. No, no, no. That's abs- it's it feels soul crushing. So <laughs> it's pretty hard to do that. So really, what you're saying is life, it can be hard for an acquisitions editor. Some days, yes, some days. But I'm going to tell you that one of my favorite parts of the job is that I am an extrovert and I like to talk to people and hear their stories and and kind of do that. And so I like to go to conferences and I like to just talk. Like if I see people, I just like to talk to them and hear their stories. And so writers and authors are just incredible people, I think. And so that's one of the best things about my job is just getting to interact with these amazing people that God has given a story or a platform to talk about just the work he's doing in their lives. And I get to read and I love to read. So... Okay, well, that's awesome. I love that you do that. I kind of feel like in some ways, that's a dream job, because you do get to read a lot, you get to feed your extrovert self, and you get to make people's dreams come true. I mean, aside from that one little glitch of occasionally having to tell people no, it sounds like it's a really, really fun, fulfilling, satisfying kind of role. Yeah, it absolutely can be for sure. Okay, so when you and I met, we met at Declare this past fall, and it was sort of just like a chance bump into each other meeting. And I think you actually, I actually, you saw me eyeing honey on a table, and I really wanted to see how I could get it in my bag. And I just was like, I don't know how I'm going to get this on the plane. And it was like a whole debacle. It was really funny. I wasn't going to throw you under the bus for the eye and the honey thing. But since you outed yourself, then yeah, I think that you were. I mean, it looked amazing. I'm sorry. Anyone would have done what I did. Well, and it's so funny because one of our speakers last year, Melanie Dale, she took a picture of herself trying to slam the honey before she had to get on the plane. And uh, that picture still cracks me up. She's just hilarious. So, yeah, we were putting out honey and everything on the last day of the conference. And you and I had a chance to meet and we were just kind of chatting and I'd asked you how it was going. And you said something to me that has just stuck with me. You said that you were there looking for the ones to watch. Mm. And I've been to a whole bunch of conferences, uh, you know, speakers and writers conferences and all that kind of thing. And I had never really heard anybody say that. And I just thought that that was so interesting. And it made me wonder, well, what are you watching for? What makes somebody someone to watch? And I thought I would ask you to elaborate on that a little bit. I'm so glad I said something that was actually great that you kept that was stayed in your mind instead of something like, wow, that was terrible. Um, but <laughs> well, I you said that, that too, but no, I'm just kidding. Oh, I'm just well, kidding. Really true. <laughs> no, really. But really what you did say, you know, about looking for the ones to watch that has stuck with me. And so that's part of why I asked you to be on the podcast today, because I want to know what makes somebody someone to watch. I think for me and everybody is going to have a different response to that question. But I really think it's what are they doing? Like, what is the story they're telling? What are they offering to the world? Whether it's in their blog or on, you know, social media, like how are they interacting with their audience in a way that, you know, is ministering to their needs, to the spiritual needs people have. And so for me, it's like, 
Oh, I've never seen that before. So that's something I'm going to keep my eye on because I want to see, is that something people are really do are really engaging with? Or that feels like we've heard it before, but maybe I'm going to keep my eye on it because this person is like super engaging and they have a, their personality is just, you know, they just are out of this world and they, you know, they have great character. And I think that was one of the things that drew me to you too, Anne, is you just have such a vibrant personality. And so I was like, oh, I want to talk to this person and I want to hear what she has to say. And that to me is something that I really look for. Fresh perspectives, like you can talk about motherhood all day long, but if you're doing it some in a new creative way that other people aren't, that's going to stop me and be like, whoa, that's interesting. And look at how the people are responding to that. I want to see where this goes. Like, I don't know if that really answered your question, but that's kind of what I'm looking for. No, that answers my question a lot. And thank you for the nice things that you said about me. But it's interesting to me because I think that, at least for me, when I first kind of started out, I just sort of assumed that you were looking for an original idea and solid writing. But to hear that you are looking more at, you know, personality, that you are looking for how people are engaging and kind of what they're already doing to get that message out and then how people are responding to that, that is a much fuller picture to me and gives me actually, I think, a little bit more hope because it's not all the eggs in one basket, so to speak. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And one of the things that I don't know if new authors or authors in general would say now is that they're highly, a lot more engaged in the process. Like they need to be just as much as a partner with their publishing house. The publishing house can only go so far. The author really does have to have a part in it. So when you see these different personalities, you can be like, oh, that person is going to just totally destroy marketing. They get it. They know what they're doing. They know their audience. They're in it to win it. And you know, that is exciting. That's exciting to see. And so people that are also excited about their topic or their ministry or the women that they're they're engaging with that's really exciting because that's god working you know that's the spirit working in this area and that's that will never go out of style that will always be amazing to watch oh i love that the spirit of god will never go out of style that's tweetable everybody needs to just pause the podcast right now and tweet that that's incredible i love it i'm sure i heard somebody else say that somewhere <laughs> Well, that's okay. We can give you credit for today. <laughs> but but so I love what you're saying, and I'm completely tracking with you. You know, the personality, the engagement, the they come to life when they talk about their message. But does that sort of exclude the introverts among us? I mean, yeah. what kind of advice would you have for them when they're maybe not so out there with their message, but it's solid? Absolutely. That's a great question, too, because, yeah, because so not everyone can be like you or me, where we're just like, hey, who can we talk to next? And how can we engage with you? You Exactly. You know, no, because as I'm learning, that is incredibly terrifying for a lot of people. And so what I would say for like people that tend to be more introverted is that's fine. You know, your passion for your your project or your topic, it will come through in whatever way that looks like. But I would say also, if you are working with a publisher, if like, let's say that's what's happening, trust them to know the best course of action for you and engage with it. Like be a part of that process. Don't don't kind of sit back and let them do it. I'm just meaning just jump in there. And yeah, you don't have to be up on a big stage, but you could be on social media and still be an introvert. You could be tweeting or you could be writing blogs. You could be doing writing articles and different places. You could be doing all of that great stuff and still engaging with your audience on a level that's more comfortable for you. So yeah, like there's totally a place for that as well. And it's been my experience 
that introvert extrovert, if you have a topic that you care a lot about, the introvert extrovert thing is not going to matter. You're going to want to talk about it. You're going to want to share about it because God has given it to you. And all you want to do is share what God has done in your life. And you want to help change the world for him in that way. And so your story or, or what your topic is, that's what he's given you and you go for it. And that's been my experience that people won't shirk away no matter how hard it may seem. Okay, so that makes me want to ask you another question, but I want to be careful about it. So I want to ask you what topics are publishing houses looking for. But the reason that I want to be careful about it is because I don't want somebody out there, if you don't list their topic, to feel like they're dead in the water. You know, just kind of overarching, I would love to have an idea of like, what kind of things are hot right now? What kind of things are you really drawn to? Okay, that's perfect. Because the way I usually answer that question, because I don't want people to feel like, oh, well, she didn't say, you know, this particular thing that I like write about. So that must not have a place, right? That's not it at all. You're absolutely right. Really, as a Christian publisher, you we really just are looking for authors that are inciting new ideas, something that's new and offering fresh perspectives of the world and current events, and that they're telling authentic stories, not story, not somebody else's story necessarily, but authentic stories in a unique way that ultimately, and the whole purpose is to change lives for Jesus, right? So absolutely. one of the ways that a lot of people do that is through memoir. And, you know, memoir is a tricky, it's a little bit tricky, but it has a place that is a hot genre. People like to hear about stories and as Christian, as a Christian publisher, sometimes we look at it as they're not necessarily memoirs, they're testimonials. So this is, that's a way that you can be like, this is what the Lord did in my life. Let me show you. And guess what? Your story matters too. But I would say that genres that we're finding that are a little bit more like parenting, marriage, leadership. They're tough categories for writers without an established platform and following, you know, and something else you asked about too, was that there are the topics that are being heavily covered right now. And that are, that we can see as we try to project in the future that are being kind of exhaustive in the marketplace right now are talking about being perfect, like ideas of perfection or meet me in my mess or freedom from brokenness, Feelings like less than these all I think are really strong right now, but I could see we can see that they could be potentially overly saturated and may just start to lose their luster um, in the next few seasons. So that's what I would say. But again, don't give up. If none of those are your topic, don't say, oh, no, I can't. I'm not. No one will be interested. You, You never know. You just never know. Well, yeah. And I mean, then if, then again, on the other side of that is if somebody has this idea about perfect or freedom from brokenness. Maybe see if there's a different approach you can take that's a little more fresh on that topic. Absolutely. That's also not necessarily dead in the water. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. It's funny that you say that, though, because I do feel like lately a lot of the books that I have picked up or looked at all have the word freedom or something, some version of it in the title or the subtitle. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It's very common right now. That's something we try to keep track of when we're looking at proposals and thinking, what's next? You know, what's going to be the next thing? So that's an interesting question that you just made me think of, which you said you're keeping track of maybe how many books have that word freedom or whatever in the title, or maybe not quite that specifically, but topic wise. So I know that when somebody is trying to put together a book proposal, they also kind of have to keep track of what is going Mm -hmm. on in the market so that they can offer to you their knowledge about where their book will fit in the market. And I'm just curious, like, what is really good information that they should include? And is there some kind of resource you would point people to for something that is, you know, really solid for looking at those kind of things? Honestly, Anne, I don't actually don't have a great answer for that. I mean, we use 
all the normal tools, I guess, that anyone else would. We use the internet, you know, that big old internet. And right. so what we kind of do is like, I, I mean, if you're thinking, I want to write a book about perfection. Okay. Like how perfection has affected my life. That's cool. Go to Amazon, go to CBD, go to Barnes and Noble, go to these online retailer spaces and look and see what books are out there, what books are published in this area and see, and then what you can do. And Amazon is a little bit more helpful in this regard is that they can show you books other people purchased in when they purchased this book and other books in that same kind of category. And so you can kind of see what is happening in that genre. And if there's like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of books and you also look and see when they were published, then you can see a little bit of the trend. Um, and then you can be like, oh, well, how will my book stand out against these kinds of books? And some of the things that we think about, too, when you're providing a proposal and you're talking, here's my book on perfection, you know, make sure that the books that you, we love to see that you have done this research. And by doing that, it's the comparable books that you include. And so if you're showing me that you have these different comps in there, that is very helpful for me. One, it shows me that you know what your market is. And two, you are, you're being realistic unless you comp to like a New York Times bestseller. Then that doesn't make any sense to me if you're, especially if you're a first time author, because that's just not a realistic expectation. But if you are writing a book about perfection and you comp to a devotional, that tells me that you don't really know what your market is and maybe you haven't done the research. And so that's just, that's my biggest suggestion is go online and look who is publishing in this space. What are they publishing on? You can find that online. You can follow blogs. You can totally go to Amazon or Christian book or Barnes and Noble and just see what's in their line to kind of get a feel for that. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me, but that also makes me wonder for some authors, I've talked to authors that have done this. I think I've tried, I've done this. You're researching the comps, you're researching the market, and you suddenly start to feel like there's nothing new under the sun. Nobody's going to need your book. But if this book is really an idea given to you by God, what advice do you have for not caving to thinking something else has already been done and going with your original fresh idea? That's great. You know, that's a really good point because doubt can start to creep in there. I think you, one, you have to trust that the Lord gave you this message. And if he really, if you feel really called to write a book, then you need to stick with that and trust that because the Lord does not steer us wrong. But the second thing I would do that I think that people who really believe in their message when they're showing their comp titles, they'll give you like a brief overview of what that comp is. But then underneath that, they'll tell you, this is why my book is different. This is why my book is going to stand out against this book. And that shows us that you're really doing the comparables. You're like, no, I don't, it's going to fit here, but this is why it goes even more outside of this. Like my book on perfection is, oh yeah, so her book is talking about this, but this is why mine can compete in this space because of this difference. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that makes me wonder then, because a book proposal actually has a whole lot of different parts to it. And so I want to ask you kind of what do you think is where somebody should spend the most time? And what are some of the biggest mistakes or common pitfalls that you've seen authors make in the book proposal process? So I would say something that, that I'm going to say is a common pitfall in one area that we wish that people would spend a little bit more time in when they're working on their proposal is the positioning and the positioning of a product basically means you're answering the question, who is this product for? If the positioning is unclear, it's 
generally an indication that the author doesn't have their idea worked out enough to know who their audience is or what their main felt need is, what the primary takeaway is. So that's the biggest pitfall I think we deal with and where I wish people would spend a little bit more time, you know, calling through when they're working on their pro- pro- proposal. Okay. And again, the second big one was the comps. We tend to get like a lot of people will comp to just New York Times bestsellers or big names in the field. And it's like, I know they're in your genre, but you have to, you have to think on a kind of a, a level of, okay, I'm a first time author. Am I really, should I really be comping to Beth Moore? It feels like, you know, because it, that's not really how things work. Beth Moore didn't become an overnight sensation the first time. That's just something to keep in mind and something that we really, really, we really, really love to have, but as a quick red flag is if, you know, the idea is not fleshed out. And by that, I mean, you've provided an outline, but maybe no sample chapters. So to me, for nonfiction, sample chapters help us see, yes, this author knows where they're going and they're writing that way. If there's no sample chapters, then we tend to wonder, do they really have direction? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm just thinking about finding books as comps that are not necessarily by New York Times bestsellers, but that kind of reflect your idea. Do you have to be concerned whether or not the book is good or that it's a bestseller or anything like that? Like, what if it's a terrible book that got published, but it's kind of the same topic as yours? Can you use it or should you avoid it? That's actually a really good point. I don't think I didn't include a a book in your comps that you don't like. If it's a book that you're just like, ooh, this book was badly written or I don't agree, like this author has a completely different worldview than I really think that's against mine, then yes, I would not include it. Honestly, I would include books where you feel confident that your book would fit because how do you explain? Because that's again, like how do you, you comp to this book and then you're like, but but my book's better because this book is bad. That's not a very good way to- (laughs) That's not a solid argument. (laughs) Yes, it's just, it's not really going to- um, help you in any way, if that makes any sense. But that's really what I would say um, when it comes to that is that, yeah, comps are hard, but it is possible to come up with like some very decent comps. And I'm not saying I want 12. I'm saying three, four decent ones can go a long way for publishers to say, oh, I, I really see where this person's going. And yeah, it'll pro- maybe this is a hard genre, but look, they, they've done their, they know what they're talking about. This could be good. Okay, so then let me ask you, what if somebody has a fresh idea and it's real fresh, like there aren't really many comps out there at all and they're struggling to find three? I mean, what advice do you have for them? I say do the best you can. And if it really comes down to it and you're like, this book is really only like this, you know, New York Times bestseller, then really clarify, really break that down a little bit for us in your proposal and why that's really the only one um, out there. But the issue is, and that happens so rarely, so, so rarely that like a lot of the times people can say, like, let's say they're like, well, I'm kind of writing this topic and the best yes is my best comp. But my book is really not like that. I mean, it's kind of the, the concept is similar, but so I'm not talking you find a book that's exactly what like what you're doing. A lot of the times that your comps are going to be like, this is really the area where I see my book selling. But this is why my book is different. If that really translates. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that takes a lot of pressure off, too. But it's still that weird double edged sword where you want to find comps that are books that you like and that you enjoy but that are similar to your message, which carries with it that danger of discouraging you. And so you just kind of, I guess, have to give that to God and keep it in prayer and just move forward with it and, you know, wait for God to work it out. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and something to keep in mind, too, is like you said, the proposal has a lot of parts. So comparables are really just a, a part of the entire proposal. And so it's just one of the things, the many things that we look at when we're reviewing proposals. So just if people keep that in mind, that your comps are probably not going to make or break whether we decide to move forward or not with your project. So don't let yourself get bogged down and I don't know if my comps are right. So I don't think I should, I should, should submit this. No, it's a, the proposal has all these pieces in it that we, we look at as a whole instead of individually. Okay. So we've talked about the proposal and kind of getting that straight. And I'm sure we could actually talk about that for forever, but let's just go ahead and assume that somebody already has their proposal ready to go. They've worked as hard as they can on it. They're pretty confident in it. And now it's time for them to pitch their idea to a publisher or an agent, you know, at a conference or whatever they're doing. What is that like? Because I have seen women getting ready to go into publisher appointments and they're like nearly having panic attacks outside the door. I know. So what do you say to them? Oh, I wish. I, I mean, I've said to many of them, just take a breath. You know, a lot of the times they just need to take a beat because when you're pitching your book, you need to keep in mind that, yes, you're pitching it. The hope is publication, but I'm not going to say right to you in that meeting, I'm publishing you. So I wish that would just take a little bit of the edge off people. Come in there and just talk to me as a regular person, kind of like we're doing right now, and just talk to me because no decision is being made in that moment. And when you're doing the pitching to your your agent and your or your publisher, a decision is not being made in that moment of, yes, this book can be published or no, this book can't be published. You know, it's a conversation to get to know you, to hear your heart, to hear about what you're passionate about. And so I would just say, if you're feeling nervous, you know, that I totally understand, but just take a breath. You know, we're people too. We're totally people too. And we're just interested in hearing how God is working and seeing what he's given people to write about. And so I wish that I had a magic way of telling people to just, it's okay. Like, I understand you're nervous, but this is not, this is not crazy. Like I promise this is supposed to be a great, let's have a great conversation here. That's really what I would, I would say. And there's no like, if you do a pitch this way, oh my gosh, you're going to knock the socks off. I mean, I'm sure there maybe is some way like that, but I've never, I'm trying to think of like the most creative proposal I've ever pitch I've ever had. And they're all pretty much very similar, but I would say like, just be yourself, you know, just be who you are. And God's heart for your project will come through when you're like that. But one thing is brevity is also nice. If we ask you to give us a sentence on, just tell us, you know, in a quick overview of what your project is. And then you talk for 20 minutes that's a little bit hard. (laughs) Okay. I mean, when it comes to pitch presentations, know your project, but just have the conversation, be ready with your questions, you know, know that we're people too. And we just, we just want to help like in a lot, in a lot of those things. And that a decision is not like our decision here at Tindal Momentum is made through a team. And so if you meet with me at a conference or you meet with me one-on-one, I'm taking that project back to talk to my team about how we can do something if we can do something. So Okay, so then let's just get real clear then on what is allowed during a publishing meeting, because I would be afraid that I would go in there and I would ask you questions, which would then reveal everything I don't know and cause you to judge me like, oh, you know, she doesn't really know what she's doing. Maybe she hasn't done the research. So I'm just going to nix her like, no, but I want to be able to ask you questions. So do I need to worry about asking you questions and sounding dumb? Or would you rather I just come in there and ask you everything? Yeah, actually, you know, so everyone, every acquisitions person is going to want this to be a different way. Me personally, come in with your questions. I mean, unless you are a seasoned author, if you ask me why target audience is important, I'm going to look at you and be like, you don't know why target audience is important. And you publish three books, you know, I'm going to be like, Oh, okay. Um, But no, like, (laughs) 
I honestly don't think there's any really dumb questions. Honestly, when I have these pitch meetings, I'm there to help you figure out what your next steps are. Should you publish? Where should you publish? What areas are you maybe lacking that you need to work on or that you need to build on? You know, I'm happy to do that. Like that to me, if you don't ask the questions, you know, sometimes it makes me think maybe you think you know all the things you should know. And there's a lot to know about publishing, a lot to know about writing and being an author and this whole world. So no, I, I welcome questions. I absolutely do. And there's, I can't think of a single time when I've been like, wow, that was a terrible question. That never happens. Okay. So honestly, I think that that's going to give a lot of people some freedom because knowing that going into that publishing meeting, they're giving you their idea and you're going to give them some feedback that will help them with their idea. Yes, that's that's what I try to do, especially if it's if I don't think that we're going to be able to publish the project. I don't want anyone to leave discouraged. And if you're coming to me, you obviously have an idea. God is encouraging you to do this. And so I want to be like, what can I do to help them continue to be successful or to move forward in whatever direction they want to go? Sometimes people have said, have come in and said, I don't know if I want to publish, but I feel like, should I be even writing at all? And you know, that's a good, have that question. Like, sure. Let's talk about, like, let's talk about that. Why do you, and you know, and then you have an interesting conversation that way. So in my opinion, that's the best way to go. And again, every acquisitions person is different. This is just the way that I like to work. All right. Well, honestly, for me, I would just want to assume everybody was kind of like you, because like you said, you guys are people too. I mean, everybody is trying to be successful to get that message of Jesus out there. So there's no need to feel like this is, you know, the make it or break it moment of your career, even though I know that pressure when people go into those meetings. Oh, absolutely. And like you said before, when you're doing your research, it's a loud world of publishing. There's a lot of books out there in the world. So how is my book even have, like, how does it even have a place? And, you know, honestly, I wish I could publish every book that comes my way, but we just can't. And we have to be strategic because publishing is also a business. So publishing is difficult, but it's a worthwhile experience. And if you, again, if you are doing something because you truly believe that God is calling you to it, it it can't be a mistake and it will lead you to good places. Absolutely. So my next question though, for you is that if you almost never sign anybody in a publishing meeting, then how do people get signed? So again, so this is kind of a different, like a tricky question for me because a lot of the proposals we get come through agents. And so it's a different kind of a different kind of dynamic that way. But for first time authors that come through is I take proposals that I find, wow, this is like I said, it's a fresh idea. Their platform seems to be fairly decent and their writing. Those are my three things that I really look for. The writing is really great. That I take it back to my team and I say, hey, you guys, can we talk about this? Do we have a place for this in our publishing line? And then as a team, we talk through yes or no. And if it's a yes, again, we go to our marketing team and they talk through what can we do marketing wise? Like, how can we get this book noticed in the sea of books, you know, that are out there right now? Right. And so then we just kind of go from there. So that's kind of the way the way that it goes in order to get signed. So then the real key is having an agent. A lot of the Christian publishing houses will only accept proposals from agents. Um, and so rarely, like I said, sometimes I'll go to conferences and I'll find something there. Um, it's very rare, but most of the time Tyndale does um, all of our projects are agented. Okay. So then how do you find an agent? You're an author, you've got a fresh idea, you're trying to put together a proposal, but you don't know any agents. How do you find one and what do you look for in one? So, you know, that's a really good question. Um, And I can't go into too much detail about agents because I'm not one and I'm not really 
as well versed, I guess, in that area. But agents are, again, you can find them online. There's almost every, um, there's like a Christian website that has like a list of really good agents. And I think a lot of people talk to your friends, people that you know that have been published, get recommendations um, on agents, do your research on agents, because there's a lot of them and they do a variety of different projects, just the same as publishing houses. Um, I would say when you're looking for agents too, and you have a specific book, like genre that you're in, make sure that the agent that you pick is well versed in that genre and has inroads to publishing houses that can publish that genre, you know, that kind of thing. I would definitely recommend doing that. And my personal opinion is word of mouth is probably the best recommendation for any kind of agent or publishing house or food restaurant or book that there is. Okay. Does that really answer your question, Anne? I'm not sure. No, I do. I think that that's really helpful, especially knowing that you can just kind of cold call an agent or, you know, find one online and then I guess send them a query letter or something with your idea and just start those conversations. Yes. And I would guess that their process is similar to ours because they probably get a lot of queries um, themselves. So they're kind of pulling the same way that we probably are. Okay. Well, that's really good to know. So I want to switch our topic just a little bit and talk about platform because I feel like maybe 10, 15 years ago, platform wasn't even a discussion. I don't know if you think the internet was a thing then, but several years ago, I think I went to a really big conference and the keynote speaker, and this was like maybe six, seven years ago, was Michael Hyatt. And he was talking about building your platform and it's all platform, platform, platform. I think that's the name of his book. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, And I think it's like getting noticed in a busy world or a noisy world, something like that. But um, it is. It's a great book. But since then, I've also heard that platform maybe isn't the, you know, cat's meow in this kind of game anymore. And so I'm just wondering, can you help us figure out where is platform? And when you're saying or when somebody says we need to see that you have a successful platform, Can we get some success parameters on that? Like, are you successful if you only have 200 followers, but you have really good engagement? Or do you have to have 20,000 followers before somebody would even look at you? Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And honestly, I wish that I could say, hey, if you have this many followers on this on these social media platforms, that's all you need. But I, I can't. It's platform isn't a one size fits all. And like I said before, like when we're evaluating manuscripts, one of the things that we look at is we have a three tiered approach. It's platform topic. Is this a unique topic? And is the writing? How is the writing? Is it good writing? Is it bad writing? You know, can we work with this writing? Um, so it's like three areas, but platform is definitely still one of those legs. The higher the numbers, the better in any social media platform, but it can vary. So for example, if an author has high engagement on Facebook, but is spending all their time on Instagram, then the author, that author isn't using their social media platform strategically. If an author has great engagement on Instagram and not on Twitter, they should focus on engaging with their audience on Instagram while working on building their social media presence on Twitter if they feel like that would be valuable. Um, Really, the point with social media is that you need to meet your audience where they're engaging with you the most. You know, like if you're spending so much time just being like, I need to build my numbers, I need to build my numbers, but you're trying to do it in a way that's inauthentic to your audience, it's not really going to do you any favors. I would say in recommendation to ways that you can build your platform is, you know, what are you bringing to the table that they want to provide for their their readers and how is it unique and unlike what other people are being are doing? Something that we, I think that is actually growing and we're talking to authors a lot more about too is email list. Build your email list because you can tap that email list regularly, you know, for lots of things, especially if you have a book coming out, you can use that email list to let people know and to help get people excited about it. 
and you do that by offering a freebie or some kind of incentive to your reader to build that list. So, so just something to keep in mind that platform is very important still, and it's a it's part of the decision to publish. But if a manuscript is excellently written on a topic that's really unique, it's definitely worth a conversation about possible publication, even if the platform numbers are a little bit lower than we would like. Okay. And so if, say, you're looking at this three-tiered approach and one of the areas is sort of not where you want it to be, does that mean that you guys would potentially then help that author get it to where it needs to be? Or does somebody need to just really figure that piece out on their own? Are you talking about platforms specifically, Anne? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm talking about like, say somebody has a really great platform and a great topic, but their writing isn't the best or their topic is really great, but their platform isn't as built up as you would like to see. And so in those conversations with people, are they just going to get their book denied or you say as a publisher, are you going to say, this is what I really want you to focus on. And I think that you would do well to take this kind of approach. I mean, is do you guys handhold at all or help at all? Or is it just yeah. they need to come to you with all the knowledge already? No, we definitely, um, we definitely, if we find that there's enough that's working, you know, with the project, you know, yeah, definitely we'll come alongside an author and be like, this is how we can help you. But you also, like it was, I was saying before though, the author also has to come in with the mindset that they're going to have to do some work. Like the work is the publishing house is not going to be able to do the entire, like the whole nine yards. So it's really a partnership between the author and the publisher. And actually, Anna, a really great example is we signed someone recently who I met a couple years ago at a conference and her, her numbers were low and everything. And I gave her some advice and this is not me tooting my own horn, but this is an example of does a publisher help? I met her at this conference. I had a conversation with her. I was like, I think these are some of the things that you need to do. You need to work on your social media platform numbers and build those up, build your email list. And she came back about two years later with a great concept and had tripled all of her numbers and her email list because that was what I had recommended. So, you know, yeah, we can absolutely do that. We won't just say, oh, well, this person's platform is so low that we can't. There's so many factors that kind of go into the decision. And you ask too, as if maybe you have a great platform and you have a really interesting topic, but the writing isn't there, then maybe we can come alongside you in some kind of an investment to help with the writing. It just depends. It really just depends. Each project is its own unique piece. Well, I love that you're saying that, though, because I think really what we're doing, and I didn't even set out to do this, is we're just kind of taking away any fear that somebody would have about the publishing process. Like we're just kind of putting people's minds at ease about, Mm -hmm. you know, anything that might be tripping them up or cause them to be discouraged or self-doubt. Hopefully, women will just be confident in their idea. They'll do everything that they can and then trust that the rest of it's going to fall into place because they'll, you know, seek wisdom. They'll get a great agent. The publisher will help them that there's all of these things. So if they're not as put together as they think they need to be, they can still joyfully and confidently move forward with the project because those gaps can and will get filled in somewhere along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you have done the work that you've needed to do to get to that point, then you should trust yourself. Know that you you worked hard, you did this. And I mean, this is maybe probably not great of me to say, but your life doesn't live and die on whether or not you get a book deal. You know, really, it is about following what is God asking you to do with the talent and the story or the topic that he has given you to share. Um, how are you being obedient in, in relaying his message? And if you've done when you create this proposal, if you do all this work and you're like, this is where I'm at, you know, trust too that publishers, we want you to be successful too, especially if we sign you. So we'll do what we can to to help you as well. We want to partner with you and, and we'll come along 
alongside you in whatever way that we can, because we, we believe in you and we believe in your message. I love it. I think that that's so great. And like I said, I think that that just will bring a lot of freedom to people, especially because as we are coming up to the Declare Conference again in October, we're going to have publisher and agent appointments available and you are going to be there with us. Is that correct? Yep. I'm very excited. I'm so excited that you're coming back too, especially because I just think you're such this like wealth of information. So I just, I'm hoping that any of our Declare girls that are coming that have this idea that want to present it to you are just going to feel a little more confident in the way that they're going to do that. Absolutely. I tell people sometimes too, that if let's say they, they submit their proposal and it just doesn't, none of the houses are interested or something. Honestly, if the Lord wants a message out there, he will get the message out there somehow, whether it's even just, if it's just through your blog or maybe it's in a book or maybe it's articles on the internet. If the Lord has given you a message that he wants shared, nothing will stop him. (laughs) I love it. Amen. You're exactly right. All right. But I wanted to ask you too, then, so when people come to meet with you, is there anything else they need to know? Should they bring you a one sheet? Should they bring you a business card? Should they bring you a box of your favorite chocolate? Yes, to all of those things. Okay, good. So for reference, what is your favorite chocolate? <laughs> so that's hilarious because I'm not, I'm actually, it's really funny because I, I do like chocolate, but I'm not a super big chocolate fan. I'll eat dark chocolate and caramel probably any day, but I like desserts. Like I love cake and cookies and I love candy, like Skittles and things like that. Uh, I'm the same way. I'm not a huge chocolate fan, but I do I like mean, I'll dark eat it chocolate. Because come on, seriously. But, well, um, it's chocolate. Yeah. Yeah, but I would prefer dark. I would, you know, definitely prefer dark chocolate or even white chocolate, which I don't think is real chocolate, but you know, whatever. (laughs) All right. So bring you gifts. They're they're gifts. You do not not need to bring me gifts. Absolutely (laughs) do not need to bring me gifts. But yes, about the one sheet and the business card. Absolutely. And honestly, a passion for your project. If you come in and are like, so I'm writing this book about this and this and, and, and you're not very excited about it. I how do you want me to get excited? How do I get excited about it if you're not excited about it? So. So the goal is to get you excited about the idea and the project. Yeah. Okay. Because you are. Because you love it and are excited and can't wait to do it. You know, honestly. I love it. Okay, great. So then real quick then on a one sheet, what kind of things do you look for on a one sheet? Does it have to have professional graphics or what? You know, honestly, I don't think so. I think something, if it looks professional, I think that's the way that it should go. But I I don't think that it has to be this uber overdone thing. It needs to, I'd love to see your headshot, your contact information, um, a summary of your project, your social media numbers, and even just links to your blog or, or wherever you're writing. Um, And I think just maybe you could even add like, where have you written in the past? If you've written somewhere else online or anything like that, like quick information about yourself is really helpful. So like a little short resume slash bio thing? Yeah, but definitely make sure you include, you know, the summary of your project and who is this book for? And who is it for? Which is the bottom line. Yeah. Okay. That's so great. Well, so I've mentioned that you're coming to Declare this year. And this year, our theme is Warrior. And part of that was just born out of the realization for our team last year when we were working on our 2017 conference that there came a point in time when all six of us felt like we were under some really heavy attack. You know, it just kind of seemed like it was all coming at us from all different sides. And we were on our little prayer channel on Voxer, consistently asking for prayer. And suddenly we realized that maybe God was about to do something really big with Declare and that that was why we were under attack. And that kind of changed our stance, our position 
you know, physical position, the attack that we were facing when we realized that we were, you know, somebody was coming after us, the enemy was coming after us. And so we decided what we wanted to do was just kind of become warriors, you know, and not let those attacks continue to happen. So as we were discussing that, we kind of realized that there's different types of warriors out there in the world. Some people, you know, are great warriors with words, some people with prayer, some people with rest, some people Mm -hmm. with speaking, you know, whatever it is, there's all different kinds. And so I've been asking all of the guests that I have on the show, what does being a warrior mean to you? Yeah, that was a re- that's a really interesting question. Um, I know most people, myself included, you know, you hear the word warrior and you immediately think of physical fighting. But for me, I feel like being a warrior is more than defense. Yes, warriors defend those they love and stand up for what they believe in. But they're also strong, kind, generous, and determined, willing to stand firm in the face of struggle or challenge. The female warriors that I know, they believe that their opinion counts, that their words are powerful, and that the world doesn't get to determine how they see themselves or what their self-worth is, that they are brave and they do their best, even when it's hard or hurts or won't be the popular choice. And I really love on the website, the description that you guys have of the war of a warrior, God raising up women who stand on solid ground in their faith and fight for what God has promised them. Women who stand firm in their faith, living in peace, regardless of what they are walking through. Wow. Those women would be fearsome to behold. Right. Well, and those are the kind of women that we want to be. And I believe that that is the kind of woman that you are. I have really enjoyed this conversation, Kara. Oh, thank you so much, Anne. That's, I just think that you're wonderful. I love what Declare is doing for the writing community and just giving women a place to have a voice and to grow. I think that's just amazing what you guys are doing. And I love that I get to be even a small part of it. Well, we have a lot of fun doing it, and we love that you get to be a part of it, too. And so I just want to thank you. I know that there's probably, you know, a bunch of questions I didn't get to ask you. So uh, I just want to invite people to go ahead and, you know, comment on this post, you know, comment somewhere on any of the other questions that they have, and we can maybe gather them and maybe we'll have you back on the podcast again. We can dig in a little deeper even. Yeah, that would be great. It was really fun. Thank you so much, Anne, for having me. Uh, Thank you, Kara. I can't wait to see you in October and just best of luck as you are looking for the ones to watch. Thanks, Anne. You too. So there you have it, straight from an acquisitions editor who is somebody that I think you probably like me just wanted to sit down and have coffee with and pick her brain for hours on end. She's just so helpful. I hope you are walking away with some inspiration and some really great ideas as you're preparing your book ideas and your proposals. I know I am. So show notes are available on the Declare website under the podcast tab or on your mobile device. And did you love this episode or do you know some writers that you think would really benefit from listening to Kara's great wisdom? Make sure you share it with them. We just appreciate it when you do that. And I know that other people will appreciate it too. Don't forget to check out our sponsor today, Loved and Blessed, and get your free gift when you sign up using the code DECLARE. And also the rest of the notes for today, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You'll get it in your email every single time. You'll never miss an episode. And when you do that, please take a couple of minutes and just go leave us a review. Don't be shy. Reviews are our favorite. Also, let us know if you want to partner with us as a sponsor. Don't forget to get your ticket to the 2018 conference and the pre-conference that's coming up in October in Dallas. And get connected today with our online community through our Facebook page. We hope every single episode of the Declare podcast inspires and encourages you. Thank you so much for always listening. And we'll see you next time on the Declare podcast.